Hello there, and thanks for joining us here in the Lions Guide community, where we help you reach heightened levels of success by providing resources for improving your performance and leadership development. Or as I prefer to say, we're going to save the world by helping people have more courage and be better leaders. Here you can expect to be both inspired and empowered as we explore the stories of our guests and the lessons they learned. We also interview various subject, subject matter experts and review books and other resources to help you establish clarity, have courage, and lead, lead the way. I'm your host, Dale Walls, founder of Lion's Guide. And on this episode, we've got my friend Raj Kira. And Raj is a past CEO and CMO of several SaaS businesses, growing them to successful multi-million dollar exits or to public companies. Uh, he's He's now a growth advisor to, to B2B SaaS companies and publisher of morebusiness.com, where his personal goal is to provide training and templates and resources to help 250 entrepreneurs become millionaires within five years of starting their business. Raj is also a pro prolific writer, a best-selling author, and frequent guest on various webinars and podcasts. He holds his MS and bachelor's degrees in electrical engineering from University of Maryland, College Park. He also serves on the boards of several companies and nonprofits. He lives in suburban Washington, D.C. with his wife and two children, and Raj's favorite activity is being a soccer dad, followed closely by playing the drums. So in this episode, Raj takes us through a story of how as a come-from-nothing immigrant to the U.S., he has built and sold multiple businesses and takes us through the many lessons he's learned about having su success not only in business, but still as a father and husband along the way. You're going to love it. It was great chat. So uh, before we get started, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. You know, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide, and if you've been tuning in, getting value from the show, then I want to invite you to go to lionsguide.com and join our member community, you know, for no cost to you, it's free. You can get access to all kinds of free exclusive content, training, things like that to help you level up your personal and, perform and professional growth, you know, as well as get access to get to be released episodes of the podcast. We've got reading lists out there. We do live virtual training events. Uh, we've got a private online group to engage with other growth-minded members and a whole lot more. So again, joining the Lions Guy community is free and it's out there to help you keep leveling up to be the best version of yourself by establishing clarity, building your courage and being the true leader of your life. Check it out now. Go to lionsguide.com and join today. But that said, let's start the show. On today's episode, we have Mr. Raj Kira, and Raj has started and exited multiple businesses. In fact, uh, I know Raj because I was a customer of his many moons ago. We were just recently we were trying to figure out in the, the pregame call like when that was. I, I think it's every bit of ten years. But um, oh, I've always oh, been yeah. a huge, <laughs> I've been a huge admirer of Raj's what I, what I will refer to as entrepreneurial drive because he started and exited multiple businesses. So I'm excited to jump in and kind of see how he ticks here. And Raj, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Dale, thank you so much uh, for for having me on your show. And I'm really looking forward to just sharing our experiences and, as I put it, spread the love. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, give us a quick 30 second version of uh, who you are and what do you do? Well, so I'm, um, I'm an engineer by training. Uh, I have a couple of degrees in electrical engineering from the University of Maryland. Uh, I'm a local boy in the D.C. metropolitan area for like as long as I can remember. Uh, and I, um, 
uh, started my first business after being an engineer for a little while uh, without knowing anything on how you actually start a company. So I figured out a way to actually learn little things along the way. And I've been really fortunate. I started one called GovCon, uh, which is a portal for government contractors many years ago and uh, sold that to a public company and then started another one called Mailer Mailer. And this is the one I think where you, you mm -hmm. were one of our clients um, that provided email marketing and, um, and content services. Uh, and we focused on IT companies and we sold that to uh, J2 Global um, about five years ago. And then um, I didn't want to start a brand new company and lift it, you know, the lift uh, to actually build a big business. It's a 10 year lift, at least, I think, to really build a successful one. And so, uh, so I did a turnaround um, uh, with one company and I joined as a, a growth advisor with another one. And so now I provide um, SEO coaching and other services on my site, morebusiness.com. And uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what I work on. Been really fortunate along the way, you know, won some awards, I'm on different boards and so on. But honestly, Dale, the, the biggest accomplishment, we were talking about this in pregame, is being a dad. Honestly, yeah. that is my biggest reward. I really enjoy that one the most. Yeah. And that's, yeah. A, that's a topic, you know, I want to jump in with you today, especially, you know, like we talked, like, you know, my audience over the last year has become business owners. And I, like you said, want to help share the love with these lessons that you've learned um, to that effect, right? Like business owners can get so hyper-focused on the bottom line or 80, 120 hour a week, all this entrepreneur porn yeah. stuff that you hear or see out there that, that that's whatever that, you know, you wake up and you're 50 and you put all this time in, but you know, you've been divorced twice. Your kids don't know who you are. They're strangers to you. Right? Like it's those things that, you know, that we have to be cognizant of. It's not just this one thing being a business owner. It's still your whole life that you got to be a part of. And uh, so I'm excited to kind of, I'm glad you said that. And I'm excited to kind of explore that with you. Um, I guess give us a, a look at kind of where you came from. Like, you know, where, what was, you know, how'd you grow up? Where, how'd you end up in, in DC, you know, so on? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I'm an immigrant to the United States. My parents came here. Um, th so, you know, their story is actually, so they were, uh, part of the, uh, their, their experience, the, the partition of India, uh, from Pakistan and India. And so they basically had to flee without any, with basically their shirts on their backs. And, um, and so, you know, uh, through building up uh, a little bit of a nest egg there, we were able to come here. I was raised in the United States, moved uh, around a little bit, Indiana, New Jersey, uh, but settled in the DC area since I was 10. So pretty much this is my home. And, um, you know, all my friends are here, went to the University of Maryland, studied engineering. And, um, you know, and then I had this itch to start a company. Uh, turns out, actually, when I think about it, I've actually had that itch probably since I was maybe 12, 13 years old. I've always been enamored by this whole concept of starting starting your own your own thing. And so when I finally got the courage to leave a steady job, um, I did it. And, uh, and there's a, a couple of comments from my colleagues at my engineering job. I used to work for the, for the government as an engineer. And one of them came to me one day, he goes, Raj, be really mindful of the sugar-coated sleeping pill. And I was like, well, John, what's the sugar-coated sleeping pill? And he said, you get too used to having steady cash flow. Then you start creating a lifestyle around that cash flow. And you're young right now. Don't forget to do all those things that you thought about doing when you were younger in college and so mm -hmm. on. And so what happens is you go 10 years and it could be 20 years and you're in your 40s, in your 50s. What happened? You know, so just be mindful uh, 
to not be so reliant on that steady income that you can't pivot and actually try to reach your dreams. And, and so, so I did that, um, man, it was scary, Dale. So what I, what I did was, uh, I, I quit my job and I proposed to my then girlfriend who is now my wife for 26 years. Um, Which came first? You quit your job, then proposed, or it was a Friday and a Sunday. (laughs) It was like that same weekend. So, right, you you talk about the the. I think there's like five most stressful experiences in your life, and I think those are two of them on the same weekend: changing your jobs and (laughs) getting engaged. And so, um, so yeah, so I joke with her that she married an unemployed guy. uh, (laughs) That uh, that like so. Anyway, what what we did was um, I really tried to build up the company. It was not really generating a lot of cash flow. We came back from our honeymoon, and my bank account was over with overdrawn. And I was like, my God, I just got married. What did I get myself into? She's probably thinking, oh my God, what did she get herself into? Uh, So worked really really hard to start pulling cash flow out of the company. Slowly built it up. um, Took a little bit of time. Uh, but then it worked out. So, but yeah, just keep at it. I think there's this this focus on just being relentless that there is no other option. Like, like I had to do this. And so just that really kept me focused. Long hours and so on. We didn't have kids at the time. And so that really, uh, that really made an impact. The uh, similarly, I remember um, when I started Corsica, um, we had that same moment where, you know, we, you know, and I, I, I want to honor that you said the courage to do it, right? Because, you know, it, it does take courage to step off the cliff and sometimes grow your wings on the fall, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a great point, but yeah, same thing. It was this point where I remember I was building the business through subcontracting there in DC. I was going to uh, Main State 23rd and C, contracting myself in as a 1099, using that revenue to hire people and do commercial business. But um, I remember when the business needed an administrator and my wife had her own salary job at the time, I said, hey, you you know, we talked about it and she was going to come in and, you know, be what became service coordinators, our first one and, and and the business administrator. But I remember when we did that, I was like, I'm my income is currently the business. Now your income is about to be the business. I was playing a lot of Texas Hold'em at the time. I was like, all the chips are going on the table tomorrow, right? Like when you go submit your two week notice, like we're all in, right? To your yeah. point that that just and there there's that necessity, like you that once that's done, you you leave that security of that steady twice a month or whatever paycheck coming in, and you know it changes things. It's almost like similar, but you know, like when you have your first child and something changes in your mindset on necessity, like how you need to conduct yourself, how you need to provide. And I I would say, obviously it's not the same thing, but similarly, like when you're all in, like things change, like you don't. Yeah. The only growth I think we truly experience as human beings is when we are out of our comfort zone, you know, because if you're, if you've, if you've got that, that nice lifestyle, which is great. I, I you know, work toward having a nice lifestyle. Uh, but even today, and I'm in my late fifties right now. And so even today I still push myself because if I, the, I, 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 I almost feel uncomfortable with being too comfortable, you know? And so, uh, you know, while I'm not looking to start a hundred person company anymore, I, uh, you know, I am like, you know, doing like coaching for SEO and, and, and teaching people things, but I'm learning about course development. I'm learning about these things that I've never done before. Um, and I'm really excited about it because it just gives me, 
you know, it just gets me up in the morning. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's yeah. it, right? Like, you know, who wants a life where you, you like don't want to get up in the morning because yeah. your job sucks or whatever. You're not doing yeah. something that you enjoy. Yeah. And, um, and to, to business owners, I often say, you know, they, 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 uh, cause I talk to many business owners too, and they talk about, wow, this is so hard, uh, you know, getting a business off the ground and really, you know, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. And there's a lot of people out there on like advertising on Facebook and Google and talking about how easy it is. It's hard. If yeah. you want to do something substantial, there's a lot of work you got to put in. Then you have to make sacrifices. Um, the one thing that, you know, I, I guess I alluded to earlier being a dad is the one thing I did not make. Um, it, it was kind of like an off limits thing was uh, family time. And I really made that uh, like it was family time. Then, then I worked and mm. that, that when I started having kids, that is. Um, so that, that was really, that was important. And it's, uh, I can see the fruits of it. So, so talk, walk me through, you touched on a little bit. So I'm not too clear. Like, you know, you went to college to get an engine electrical engineering degree. Like what was your plan? Was it, yeah, so you, and you're working a job, like what type of job was that? And what, what was that transition point like that made you go, you know what? I'm doing my own thing. Like what, what was kind of happening in that situation? You know? Um, so yeah, I wanted to be an engineer just for the longest time. I, I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe tw 10, 12 years old, my father bought me this little radio shack back then it was called a 65 in one kit and it had a resistor here and a transistor and a capacitor. And you could put these wires together and make a radio. I was hooked. I thought this was so cool. And I was like, I definitely want to be an engineer. So, you know, I studied to be an engineer. Um, you know, I didn't realize how much math there was involved in electrical engineering. <laughs> a lot of math. <laughs> um, so, so I enjoyed it for a while, probably about eight years. And I, I just felt unsatisfied. I felt like, you know, there's just, there's just more. I, I, you know, I was going to conferences, I was writing papers, I was, you know, starting to like build my, my footprint in the electronics I was a semiconductor electronics engineer in the semiconductor community, and it, it just was not fulfilling. And then I remember what my friend had said, like, watch out for the sugar-coated sleeping pill. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm already swallowing it right now. I, I got I to pivot. And then so, so, yeah, I forced myself to just say, okay, Raj, when you were 12, 13, you wanted to start your own company. Let's just do it. Um, in hindsight, what I should have done is probably worked for another small business to learn how to do it. Um, instead, I just like, went all in. Um, so I, I would have probably done it differently the second time around, but you know, you do what you do. And, um, and so what I did is I, I knew that I, I didn't have any training on business and I had to figure out how to get clients. I could do the work, but I didn't know how to get clients. So I, I back then there's no internet or anything. I, I went to the local library, got a library card and I checked out three books on marketing, advertising. And I go home and I start reading some of them um, and then I did this at three weeks later, the books were due back. So the ones I liked, I kept, I renewed, and then I just finished them. I did this for a year, Dale. And it really taught me, oh, there's all this new side of like the world that I'd never been exposed to. You know, I mean, I was like the engineer heads down doing all the technical work, but like all the, this business side, the soft skills, which a lot of my engineering colleagues they look at soft skills as like, oh, that's like easy stuff. And honestly, it's not, it's not easy at all, <laughs> so like, you know? And so, um, so you build those, you know, how do you network? How do you go shake someone's hand and say, hello, that's not something that we're all taught, right? It's, it, you know, look them in the eye where, you know, my colleagues would look at their shoes when they talk to people. Cause that's what a lot of, you know, 
technical people do. Sorry, that's just kind of the way it is, you know. And so, um, so really, it uh, it uh, it was a growing experience, and I, I learned about starting to get some some clients, and I started to get a few clients doing little part time gigs here and there. What was it, what was this first business? What was it? So the first business was was actual. Uh, it was technical writing. And so, uh, interestingly enough, I, you know, there's like uh, Steve Jobs when he gave his graduation speech had this quote about you got to have faith that the dots will connect, something like that. And so, I realized uh, what I was doing when I started to generate business for my technical writing work, which uh, technical, because you know, I mean, being an engineer, publishing research papers and everything, I knew how to do technical writing really like pretty well. Um, and so I would, I would start writing articles that other engineers could relate to, to talk to them about the types of services. So it was content marketing, really, before people call it content marketing. And I came up with this library of how to do this, how to do that, that 20, 30 articles that I would publish in print newsletters wherever I could get published. And so that's where I started getting my first handful of clients. And then when the internet started uh, coming about, I was like, oh, we should pivot. We could probably help people create websites. So that was actually the first business was helping others create websites. And I'm like, well, why don't we, so my brother who was finishing, he has a PhD in computer science. And so he was finishing his degree at the time. He's like, yeah, let's start. This internet thing could be big. This is like 1994. <laughs> so like, oh yeah, what's the internet? So we, uh, we took some of those articles and we created a website and we used that as a showcase of these are the consult, like we could create a website like this for you. So we started getting a few clients, but then something really weird happened. IBM's ad agency called me and said, can we advertise on your website? And I'm like, advertise on a website? This is just like a showcase. You know, I'd put my articles on there and everything. And I'm like, you know, they trying to think on my feet. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. And they're like, how much? And I said, $250. And they're like, sure, done. Send me an insertion order. I'm like, okay. First thing I did when I got off the phone, I realized they said, okay, way too fast. <laughs> I should have priced it higher. And the second thing is insertion order. What the heck's an insertion order? <laughs> I didn't know. I was a technical guy, right? I'm, I'm typing in. I don't think Google was around even back then. I'm going to Yahoo's directory to find out what, what an insertion order is. And it's like, okay, that's the advertising contract to get. So I, I download one, create a template. A week later, and I've got IBM's ad on this website. A week later, the ad agency for, for um, Fidelity calls. Can we advertise on your website? And I'm thinking, I'm going to be real smart this time. Yes, $500. Okay, send me an insertion order. I'm like, damn, too fast. They said yes, too fast again. So I started learning about price resistance, right? You don't learn this in engineering school. You learn it in business school, which I didn't go to. So, um, and then it happened again. And I, I think it was Adobe that called. And so I was getting these calls from all these people. I'm like, wait a minute. We could do all this work by putting together people's websites, which is consulting work, time and materials, or... I could just take advertising. How about if I rotate ads through and just charge people? It is so simple. I collect money. And so that's what we did is we, we like developed this little tool that was an ad rotator and a bunch of other that we redesigned the site. We branded it morebusiness.com. So it's actually been around for a really long time. And we started just creating more content around it. And it became a site for small business owners to just come and just look at. And I just ran that site part-time as a, like a business where it just got advertising on. But what we did is realized, wow, there's a market for people looking for niche content. And so there's another guy who's actually a mentor of mine. He's like, you know, there's a big niche around government contracting. 
there's this database back then it was called the commerce business daily where you would get bidding information for government contracts anything over $25,000 had to get published in the commerce business daily which was a print newspaper thing the government printing office would send it out three days later you'd get a copy you'd get your fingers black with the newsprint that was just you know but that's what you looked at so what we did was we bought the rights to the electronic version of the commerce business daily they would publish it one day ahead of the print publication. So we would actually get the data a day before the mailer went out. So it'd be like four or five days before anybody got the data. <clears throat> and we stuck it online, made it searchable, and gave it away for free. The biggest question we got, why are you giving this away for free? How are you giving it away for free? It was because we were tossing ads up there like crazy. I mean, when you have something that is fresh data every single day that gets published, people have to go to the site. And we grew like a rocket ship. And, uh, and then we're like, well, you know, people probably don't want to just come to the site, search it. How about we charge if they give us keywords, we can just email them in the morning. So they get to their office and in their inbox is all the bids that relate to their keywords. So we would charge money for that. So we got a lot of subscribers. And our customers, Dale, were IBM, Caterpillar, all the big giants, and then tons of small companies. And, and you talk about being a scrappy entrepreneur. We're trying to figure out ways to make more money. So in government contracting, there's a database called the 8A database. And there's a, a list of minority certified companies. It's about four or 5,000 of them. Finding that list was a three-week job for me. I was making phone call after phone call. You know, this is this predates a lot of what's available right now. Because what, what did we talk about? Like late 90s at this point? Yeah. Yeah. We're like, yeah. Probably between, so we started GovCon in 95 and we ended up selling it in 99. So it's like right in that, that period. So like around 97, 98, it took me three weeks of phone calls and everything. I found one office in downtown DC, not far from all the, the museums, where uh, there was the keeper of the disc. This lady had the database. And I said, well, how much is it? She's like, $25. I said, done. I'll buy it. I was like, well, you need to have a certified check and this and that. So I got the check. I drove to DC. Couldn't find a parking spot, double parked, ran inside, hoping I wouldn't get any, like, just gave her the check, got the disc, and I came back. And it's public information. It's a public database. But it was so valuable because it took me three weeks to locate where this was. And I knew many, many companies wanted it. So I said, is this okay to redistribute? And, and she's like, yeah, this is government, public information. So we took the data created uh, a database with it, put a little extra like polishing touches on it, a little more, you know, like how to use it and instructional stuff, created a floppy disk and sold it for 99 bucks. And I cannot tell you how many of those I sold. No kidding. It was, it was so, cause we had this, we had about a hundred thousand customers of GovCon and we do a, an email every, I think every week or so. And so, so the large companies are constantly looking for, for 8A small businesses so that they can find uh, so they can satisfy some of the government requirements for their contracts. So like really being a business owner is just about being scrappy. Nobody teaches you this stuff. You don't learn this in necessarily in business school unless you see it as a case study and what someone else did. But it's about just being scrappy and figuring stuff out. I mean, I have story after story. It's like, <laughs> like stuff that we did. And, uh, and um, you know, one I guess one of the funny ones was my, um, this was the late 90s. So all the tech guys had ponytails. So my wife says, well, why don't you grow a ponytail too? When you go to networking events, you'll look like one of the tech guys. So I tried and my hair will always curl. I was like, Honey, I cannot grow a ponytail. I'm just not doing it. So, so I just left it at that. But uh, 
but it was good. It was, GovCon became quite popular and, um, and actually owned the trademark GovCon. Uh, when we sold it, the company that bought it forgot that they owned the trademark and now you can't get the trademark. They lost the trademark and GovCon is used everywhere, the term. Mm. But I, I was actually the owner of the trademark GovCon. Wow. <laughs> Oh yeah. So so that's two businesses so far. So you had more business originally than yeah. GovCon. How many yeah. how many businesses have you founded and exited so far? So I sold I sold um, GovCon when I was thirty five, and um, I had in my wallet three years prior. I'd, I'd seen this thing about Jim Carrey, and he did this. The actor where he wrote a check to himself and he kept it in his wallet and he would look yep. at it when times were really rough. And so I was like, that's kind of cool. So I actually wrote a check, had a large number on it and I put it in my wallet and you know, as well as I do and every business owner listening, there are times when it is lonely and you are scared that the floor is going to fall out from under you. It's, it, it is, it is common and it's okay to feel that it's not good when you feel it, but it's, it happens. Right. It's, yeah. And so there are a lot of those times. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, so I would look at that and at, when we sold our company, I looked at that check again and it fell within two weeks of the date that I'd put on the check. How that happened, I have no idea. It's a reticulator activating system, man. I think so. I, mean, I think so. You know, and I was like, wait a minute, this that was pretty freaking wild. <laughs> you know? So I uh so so I you know I realized the importance of actually not just setting goals, but setting goals with dates on them, you know, and then that check in my wallet was a way of setting a goal. You know, I looked at it kind of pretty regularly because it was like it was manifesting itself in my head that like this is where I wanted to go and then it just naturally gravitated you know things just like came into place you know you got to take advantage of the opportunities you can't just like oh I'm not going to do that one of the reasons we sold is I saw the writing on the wall that we were the biggest government contracting portal in the world uh, our next biggest competitor was less than half our size and there were several companies looking to buy us out. And, and what I noticed was there's going to be a consolidation. And if we're not ahead of it, we're going to be left behind. Mm. And so, um, so as I saw the companies get acquired, I was like, yeah, we should, we should also explore that as an option. We're not big enough to go. We're not going to go public. We're you know, a tiny little company. And so we, uh, we got a book together. Oh, my God, learned a lot about selling a company then. If I could do well, that all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the things you learn, but that's, that's it. You're like, you've got to go make those mistakes too. Right. Like, you know, that's, that's just a part of it. Cause you know, back to, you know, your mention of courage, like that's a part of the courage it takes to be a business owner is to be yeah. the fool, like to go make the mistakes, like write your goal, write your thesis of how you think it's going to turn out and then go. Cause you yeah. can thank yourself into 10 years of inaction, right? Like yeah. you can sit there and, 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 and everything to think about. Yeah. But the problem is you could have been thinking about those things as you determined if they worked or didn't work. Right. Just, just go and, and you're going to make mistakes, man, but you're going to learn yeah. them. And book after book, I tell people, you know, like all these books say the same stuff. They, they often come back and they say the same things just in different tongues, languages, personas, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and that's one of them. Like, you know, just those mistakes are invaluable. 
you know, yeah. that and you take them and, and I'm sure you b- learn from that, I guess. And that was kind of one of my questions I have for you. Like, you know, why sell a business, right? Like, you know, you've done, you've exited, you, you've sold yeah. businesses, like why not keep them and let them kind of continue to cash flow themselves or, mm-hmm. you know, like pay someone else to do what you're doing and then just det- not, not necessarily detach or, but just let, let it be its thing. Like what's, what's the reason one would sell a business instead yeah. of keeping it. So there's, um, there's, there's several ways to answer this. And I, I think if I had to really synthesize why, um, it, I guess it would boil down to where you think the opportunity is for your growth. Uh, if you have a really nice, steady lifestyle business, that's also perfectly fine. I mean, you know, my dentist has a great lifestyle business, you know, and doesn't work in the evenings, you know, unless there's an emergency. And so, like, you know, having a lifestyle business is really good. And actually, my second business, Mila Mila, I wanted to start it as a lifestyle business. I ran it as such for many years until I saw, ooh, there's a big potential. And then I really dove deep into it. But um, but there's nothing wrong with having a lifestyle business. The reason that I sold the first one was because I saw the writing on the wall that if I if I am not part of the consolidation, I will be left out in the cold. And so, and it's interesting because like two years later, I was talking to somebody else who had an offer on his company back in the dot-com days of like, yeah, they offered me $18 million. I didn't take it. I should have taken it. The company's worth one million now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's that was what was happening back then. It was the price to fantasy ratio. You can just get whatever you want for your company, as long as it's dot com. And so, um, so then you know, you you like we looked at Mailer Mailer. Now that I ran Mailer Mailer for about fifteen years, and I started it with the full intention that I wanted to make sure I was there for my son's first steps, that I was there to coach my kid's soccer team that I was there to watch every dance recital that my daughter was at. I wanted to make sure I never missed those opportunities you cannot get back. They Once they're gone, they're gone. And so I really built it as a lifestyle business. Um, and I saw several other email marketing companies start to just grow really fast. Constant Contact started right around the same time. They took off. Several others built and sold. Um, but you know, we were just, like, just kind of slow and steady. And then probably like seven, eight years into it, we'd, we'd gotten acquisition offers. Um, that's the one of those things Like, if you start a tech product company and you've got any kind of like customer base, you will get offers. You will just, it's just the way they people consolidate. And so we were entertaining, you know, venture capital, we we're entertaining um, private equity. And I remember one of the deals that we were pretty close to signing, just it fell through. And I was like, well, what happened? What, why did it fall through? And we, we just looked at the opportunities like, you know what, we can't just be only an email marketing company. We need to offer a little bit more. And as I started doing this blue ocean type of thinking, um, I saw there's this big opportunity to pursue IT companies because I'm a tech guy. I can totally relate to this. They don't know as much about marketing as that if they knew like a few extra things, they could really take off their business too. So I started testing the market with that and and uh, and started you know, doing webinars with some of these, you know, like Barracuda and like a lot of these leaders. And uh, I guess the message that I was sharing seemed to resonate. I think that's actually probably how we found each other. You might've attended one of like solar winds or one of the, I was, like I was on the webinar circuit. And so, um, so then that's when we started seeing a lot of growth potential. And within two years, uh, that, space was like 20% of my business. It was, it grew very quickly because there was such a desperate marketing need for it companies. So yeah, that's, that's how we grew it. And, um, 
And then again, like, like wh when is the right time to sell? Could I have just continued with that as a lifestyle business? If it was a service business only, probably yes. But because it was a product business, I think those there's a shelf life. You have to continue to iterate, evolve your product, uh, or you get bought out, or you buy other companies out. So I actually bought one other company, and so I've gone through that part of it too. Um, but we just looked at it and it was like, you know, it's, it's time to sell. We're, we're getting a couple of offers. Let's just entertain them. And so, so we got another offer and, uh, and sold. And I can share you some, some stories about like selling. Oh my God, the nightmares of those. <laughs> oh, I mean, by all means, the, it's just, it, it is for me when we were going through selling Corsica, like it was, you know, the funny story was um, we, we know, knew so little and I know the partners wouldn't mind me telling the story, but it's, um, <laughs> we had an unsolicited offer just after a lunch basically. And we were going to take it because like, Hey, yeah, this is awesome. We had a partner that was looking for an exit and it was like, Hey, this is a great way to fund it. Kind of, you know, work with it, whatever. And uh, we were working with a, a lawyer up in uh, Manhattan and he's going over the LOI or whatever. And um, <laughs> as he's talking to us about this offer and us taking it and whatever, and he goes, well, you know, who's your broker that you're working with on this deal? And we're like, what's a broker? And he's like, he's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, you know, in classic New Yorker style, he's like, you know, what, what do you mean? Like, you know, you're, you're not working with someone. Like, how do you know this is a good, like, what are you doing? And, and he's like, is someone going to knock on your door and you're going to sell them your house because they, they put a check in for, like, what are you doing? And so uh, he introduced yeah. us to a guy, but, but it was all learning. It was just, we had to learn, we had yeah. to go, you know, touch the hot stove and, and yeah. realize that hurts or what was, you know, good and what wasn't. And, um, but that was it. And so, so that, you know, that was another chapter because none of us, we were just growing the business. We weren't really looking for an exit. It really wasn't something that we thought about. And even yeah. though, you know, you get that question, right? What's your business plan? What's your exit plan? You know, we were of the mindset, we were all entrepreneurs, um, uh, at heart, you know, especially like the way Corsica grew, uh, we merged with, uh, Larry and Andy's company, Dwayne and I, but we all had fundamentally, we just want to deliver a great service. We just wanted a great company. Yeah. And, and, and we all lived and died in business by the mindset that if we do a good job, the profits come. Like we don't, we didn't need to get hyper-focused on the bottom line. We got hyper-focused on what our customers were asking us and how we could deliver. And, um, and we knew the profits would come and it just did, you know, um, we didn't, it, it, whatever, you know, and, and, and every investment group, they never want to hear that story, but that's the truth. You know, we just yeah. focused on, um, you know, delivering good service. And did we, did we figure out a formula that worked? Yeah. But, um, but anyways, back to selling a business, we had no idea what we were doing, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, the first time I saw a data room, which was like right. with the, the due diligence checklist, I, I just about peed my pants. I mean, like they were asking questions that I had no idea how to answer because they're asked in such a tricky way in some, not all of them, like, but some of them. And I'll give you an example of one of them. I was sharing this with another friend of mine not long ago who was looking to sell his company. And I said, so did they ask you the question about uh, what percentage of revenue comes from your top 10 clients? And he goes, yeah, they asked me that. And I said, so be careful how you answer that. What they're assessing is risk. Because when somebody buys your company, they're they're buying potential and 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 hedging against the risk that they're going to lose clients. So if there's a risk that they lose 
half of your top 10 and that accounts for half of your revenue, that means suddenly 25% of the cash flow is gone. And so they really have to be mindful of, you know, what can you do to make sure that you retain those? And I said, so the way I answered that question was not just, oh, here's the list, which is all they asked for. And my, my team members are like, well, this is all they asked for. Let's give them this. I'm like, no, we have to add narrative. And the narrative is add a separate column and say how long each of these people has been a customer of ours. Seven years, eight years, 12 years. So then the narrative is it is very low risk. Uh, that it, it, There's a very low risk that these customers would move. So then suddenly they got the top 10. They saw it was, it was actually not 50%. It was like probably close to maybe 10 10, 12% of our revenue. And so, cause we had like thousands of customers, but we had some really big ones and they're paying us like a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And, um, and so that, that was comforting to our buyer. I think that's actually one of the things that helped make the sale go through is the way we, had I done, had that been my very first sale, I would have probably just answered the question, but I realized having done this before that, oh, they really want to know some deeper stuff. They just want to, they're looking for skeletons in the closet. What's going to come back to bite them. Mm -hmm. And so you just got to give them that level of comfort. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called the Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you. And in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. And it is wild uh, how much diligence is done. I remember... Um Larry, you know, like they were looking at Twitter posts and like yeah. all kinds of stuff. And I remember uh, we got called into a meeting through the process because we talked to a ton of different companies and whatever. I remember one we were in and uh, and someone goes uh, talking to my my partner and CFO, Larry, He's like, Larry, uh, he had sent some tweet to the Hulk, you know, whoever I don't uh, Mark. Um, uh, gosh, the guy that plays the Hulk in Avengers, yeah. like, I guess he had sent some like crazy tweet to him one night, like, you know, just political crazy. They're like, what was going on with this tweet you sent with to Mark Ruffalo, uh, in, in 2016 or whatever. Um, and we were all like, what? <laughs> I mean, you know, but, it, but you're right. Like, you know, when you're selling a business, right. Like, and I, I like to tell people, it's like, like the way I learned initially, it's like selling a house, right? Like there's going to be inspections, there's, which is the diligence and you're going to need to produce 
you know, just like you would in a house, like you would maybe produce warranties or whatever and so on and so forth. And and you're going to need to produce like everything about your business. And, and I feel like you really almost want to get it to where it is that machine that doesn't need you or very clear on how it works and whatever. So, so that you can make the case for its value. Right. And, um, and then sell it. Yeah. And so on. I think one of the biggest business lessons I have learned and, um, and I remember now someone telling me just when I was starting my, my company was build for an exit. You may not think you want to sell your company. There will come a day where you will sell your company. It might be 20 years from now. It might be five years from now, but if you build processes, it just makes it so much easier for someone to buy. So I remember um, after we'd sold Mailer Mail, I was having dinner with um, the guy who was integrating us into their company. I said, well, so, so how many companies do you talk to that you eventually buy versus the ones you don't? He goes, oh, we, we talked to quite a few. We probably buy maybe a third that actually go through due diligence. So like if they talk to a bunch, only a small segment goes through due diligence and then a third is who they actually buy. And I was like, oh, really? So what made you buy us versus the other ones? He goes, well, you guys have the full package because we had all your data, all your numbers. And the due diligence process was really fast. It was, it's usually can be months. They had compressed this down to just a matter of weeks. And that is all my partners and I did for those couple of weeks. Our entire staff was like, what's going on? Why are they just like locked in those rooms? <clears throat> it's because we needed to create all these numbers. And there's an exercise that you go through about like converting your, your monthly cash, cash flow into daily cash flow for a SaaS business. Um, <clears throat> there's all kinds of ways they want the data presented. And they're really good questions. I'd never asked myself as a business owner, probably half of those questions. And then I, I thought about this afterwards, I was like, you know, these questions actually help my business run much more efficiently. That we're selling now, we're going to sell the company. But if I had to redo it, get your hands on a due diligence checklist and just answer those questions. And it'll take you a little while to answer those questions. But when you do, you are going to be so ready, so right that once a buyer comes along, you're going to be more ready than someone else because there's a guarantee. I mean, unless you're as large as like you're the only player in town, which we're really probably not the only player in town. The buyer is looking at 10, 20, 30 other companies before they make a selection on who they're going to buy. So if you're ready with all your numbers, all the questions from your, you know, your personal due diligence, you're going to have a much better leg to stand on. And you, yeah. can, you need to command a higher multiple because they're going to be like, oh, this company's run pretty efficiently. Yep. It's less risk, which means we can pay more for it. So I, I agree. It's a, yeah. like, I, I kind of like a, a root philosophy of mine has always been like, give them something to say yes to, right? Like always mm -hmm. make that your focus to, to give them something to say yes to. That was when I was talking to prospects, uh, prospective mm -hmm. employees, you know, whatever. And even I, I appreciate what you're saying because I, I felt the same way. Like first time going through selling the business, I knew we were going to sell it again. Uh, it's just the way that world works is with private equity, whatever, like they're, yeah. they're, you know, just like, you know, they come in and want to increase value and, and sell it to another ownership group or whatever. So yeah. kind of coming off that, my mindset, as we were bringing in new people, I was like, we're building the data room for the next five years. Like we're yeah. going to be, everything's going to be documented processes. And that was like more ongoing pain, right? Because it's, it is a lot of work, but it was so necessary because I just, 
because that's the truth, right? Timing and having that, that's a ton of work. And especially like us when we're 200 people and, you know, multiple different regions and so on that, that's a ton of work that you don't want to be like, stop the presses. Everything has to stop in order for everyone to get due diligence done. You don't want to be there. Like, so get it yeah. done now as we're going, as we do all these things, like have a data room built so that when, like you said, when the time comes, yeah, I'll send you the link to it and it's, yeah. it's done. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that was, that's a big, that was a big learning experience I had. And, and so like every time we try to do that now, like I, I advise companies now is I just try to get them to set up processes. Think even when it's like a one person, two person, 10 person company, like think through that. It doesn't seem like it's important. It does. It feels like it's a pain in the neck and it is a pain in the neck. Yeah. But you yeah, like to your point, Dale, you'll like, thank me later. <laughs> well, it, look, it, uh, uh, the lowest hanging, um, uh, analogy I can give people on that is try to give someone something to do without a process. Mm. Right. And, and, and because a lot of business owners do that, like, well, by the time I get it all done, I could have just done it. That's mm. not the point. That's, that's the point for one time, the first time, but this, the leverage of getting that process done, the leverage of the ability to delegate thereafter, when you can go, Hey, here's the instructions. I need you to go do, start doing this now. Every Monday yeah. you need to do this or every day you do this, right? Like the power of getting your processes done. Um, you know, I agree. It's something that I teach on it and it's not just business. It's everything. If you don't have a process, you really, if you don't have a defined system of processes, you really have nothing to measure against, right? That's because if, if, if every day everyone's doing something different, or you guys are always firefighting or always reactive mode or chasing squirrels or whatever, like you can look at your numbers at the end of the month, all you want. And then, then go ahead, try to see how you can change them. You don't have the levers that you need, but the levers that you need to change your lagging indicators, right? Your PL, your, your balance sheet, whatever, your customer list, whatever, like that really is rooted in your processes. And your process is where you pull your those levers. You go, well, we yeah. did this and we changed this part of process. And the result was more clients or more revenue or less expenses, whatever. Yeah. Um, but until you have that process, it's really hard to call those types of strategic shots, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of the reports I used to do is called a trailing 12 month report. And so, you know, a lot of times businesses can be cyclical, maybe in December business slows down, maybe in the summertime it slows down. Um, so what, if you create something called a trailing 12 month report, this was so valuable to me. I could spot a trend that we had to do something about much faster because what it does is you take all the revenue and you total it up for 12 months and that's one chart. Okay, that's that was April, trailing 12 months we made this in the last 12 months. And then for March, you add up whatever 12 months before March. So it takes all the seasonality out of it because you're accumulating like everything we did in 12 months in, in one bar. So when you look at this, if that's not constantly going up or at the very least steady, if you see a dip, that means over the last 12 months, you had less revenue coming in and you can see that before uh, it's too late. A lot of times people are like, they're looking at P&L statements and, and you know, yeah, I know it's December, we're going to get less money in December, we'll look at it in January. But if you do this trailing 12-month report, it actually generates a nice chart that you can get ahead of. And like, oh, we got to pour a little bit more into marketing, we got to advance our sales, we gotta, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, you know, to your point, like when you got these processes, uh, it just, you got you to gotta run your business, right? It's not going to run itself. Somebody's got to do it and you got to put those processes together. Yeah. What do you think, um, you know, where do you see other business owners fail or, or go wrong? 
So I think um, the process is, is actually like a big part of that uh, is that a lot of times they'll do stuff based on gut. And a lot of times, um, you know, we're, most of us, I think, are wired to, to, to not really go into danger. Uh, and, and so danger could be perceived as something that's out of your comfort zone. Uh, we don't get any business from our website, so I'm not going to really work on it. Well, you know, that's because you're not getting business because you haven't worked on it. There's actually like, if you did like, there's like seven things if you did on your website, you would just instantly start getting found. And so, um, and then a lot of people that like implement some of these little tweaks that I, that I teach in my free online guides and everything, um, you actually start elevating. So it's like, it's just staying in your comfort zone get out of your comfort zone, do it all the time. You know, we make these habits and all that. I think that's really like a big thing. The other mistake, and again, I'll, this for me, this was my personal thing. And we talked about it. It's like really pay attention to your family uh, because uh, your kids will grow up. Like I mean, this fall, I can't believe I'm going to be an empty nester. I mean, like, so now I'm starting this other chapter of my life and I'm like, Thankfully, I can have conversations with my kids. And now, you know, like my son's in his early 20s and we're having like grown-up conversations. And so it's really nice to see. And I just know it's because there's that thing that we created. He, I was always there cheering him on at soccer games. I was always, you know, the, so pay attention to your family. Don't let that go. There's nothing else in life that's more important. Mm. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Solid. The, um, so what, what are you working on now? Like what, what's, what, what exciting are you working on now? So, you know, this, this morebusiness.com site that I had for years was just a little part-time thing. It was there. We would add articles periodically. Well, over the years, it started to get a lot of traffic and, um, and started to get lots of links pointing to it, like, like close to like 700,000 other links from around the web pointing to it now. And we get about 50 to 60,000 visits per visitors uh, per month coming to the site, looking for small business information. And so one of the, the reasons people come is for uh, the sample marketing plans, uh, sample business plans. So I've, I've, over the years, I've written full detailed plans for running an MSP or starting a SaaS business, marketing plans for, for MSPs, marketing plans for technology companies. And then, and then I, through partnerships, got stuff for, for other industries. If you type in pizzeria business plan on Google, we're like one of the top three, four searches that comes up, you know, like clothing business plan, stuff like that. So we get a lot of people coming for these plans and they download them. And one of the strategies that a lot of people miss is search engine optimization. And I know I didn't consciously do this um, as I built my businesses, but I guess when I look back on it, we did stuff that if people do now can really help it. SEO is always changing because Google's, people are figuring out bits of Google's algorithm. So then they make updates and then the rankings change. And so you have to always be on top of it. But if people really paid attention to that, they would be able to grow their business a lot faster. And it starts with keyword research and everything. So over the last several years, since I sold my last company, I've been diving hot and heavy into learning SEO. And I've gotten to the point where I can actually, with pretty good accuracy, figure out what topic to write about in almost any niche based on doing research for keywords. 
So what I do now is I provide coaching services for SEO uh, to marketers inside companies to help their marketing teams learn it because it's a, it's hard to acquire skill. It's so much easier if somebody's just telling you how to do it um, or to business owners who are also looking to ramp up without investing tens of thousands of dollars in paid advertising, which you don't have to. There's so much opportunity. Uh, I'll give you an example in the MSP space since you and I both came from that. Um, but we're, we're not marketing to that necessarily, but we're like, we, we came from, so on Google, just in the United States alone, in the last 30 days, there are about 10,000 searches on the term managed service provider or related terms, managed services provider, managed service providers, people spell it differently. And then if you add managed service provider near me, there was a thousand searches being done. And then if you start tweaking that and adding the words data security, computer services, IT services, and then add in location. For example, managed service provider Denver. Those start to really show you how many searches are being done. The big terms like managed services provider, those are really hard to get found on because um, the way Google looks at it, like those are already like people have done a lot of SEO, very competitive. Managed services provider Denver, not hard to get ranked on. It's that there's two, two numbers you look at. One is search volume and one is keyword difficulty. Keyword difficulty is a number between zero and 100. The lower the number, especially if it's under say 30, the higher your likelihood of getting ranked. So managed service provider Denver, managed service provider Boca Raton, those are, they're in the teens for difficulty, which means that if you actually optimize your website around that with using your local, there's things you can do to like localize your presence when someone types in managed service provider Boca Raton, psh, you're right there. And that starts to drive more revenue, more, more um, uh, qualified leads. And you put like lead magnets to get people to download stuff. You capture their email, all that kind of stuff that you do in marketing. But so I teach SEO now and I'm actually coming out with a course because um, I've only got so much bandwidth, you know, to do coaching. Uh, and I've got a lot of people interested in the topic uh, so I'm coming out with a course on local local uh, SEO for MSPs, uh, and then I'll be doing that for other industries as well. So uh, so that's my thing now is just to like, you know, my my mission is to help 250 people become millionaires within five years of starting their company or within five years of like coming to our website, you know, sure. if you've been having your company for 10 years. Um, and I, I could tell you, like, almost guarantee you that if you plan properly with SEO, it will really accelerate your business. Because I think like, in, even in the day of social media, right? Like, because I know like a lot of people went like social media marketing and, and all that. But again, to your point, if you think about it, when we are in search of something, I, I kind of look at this and you tell me where I'm right or wrong, right? Because mm -hmm. I imagine other business owners think the same way. Like everything Facebook, everything Instagram or TikTok, like they're, they're so, that's so glamorized and they're out there dancing and doing all funky stuff. But I think still the relevance of SEO is there's people out there who are looking for a service, whereas search engines, I mean, um, social media, like it's almost promotional, right? Like you're kind of, yeah. you've got a platform to yell at the world and try to capture their attention. But search engine optimization is when someone, like you said, is saying bakery Rockville, you know, you want to show up if you're a bakery in Rockville or can service mm -hmm. someone who would search that thing. Is that, is that what we're saying? Yeah, yeah, that that is very true. And so there's um, 
there's uh, so social media, you do want to have your presence because you want to just be out there. There may be people that you, you uh, come across because they happen to be on that platform and that's how they found you. So you, you would want to include hashtags in all of your posts that someone would search on. So for example, I post a lot on leadership and I always put a little hashtag leadership. So someone searching on leadership might come across one of my posts. Um, those algorithms are really interesting because uh, what I've seen and I've read about this happening to many people is when you first start posting, you get a lot of attention and then it slowly dips. And next thing you know, there's not as many impressions of the same types of stuff you were posting before. Uh, not as much engagement. And it's because they're trying to get you to then pay <laughs> to get boosted. And so I, I have you know, mixed feelings about that. What I, what I found though is through educational content marketing, which is you provide value first. And in the case of people who provide services, almost look at the content that you're providing as consultative um, and show people how to solve some of the problems, the challenges that they're facing. And so what I've seen in, um, in content marketing is there's two types of content. There's informational and then there's transactional. So um, so it, th this ties into what a buyer uh, journey looks like. When someone, let's say, Dale, let's say you wanted to replace a TV set. You don't just wake up, go to Best Buy. All right, look, I want that one, right? You do your research first. You want to, I want to get a good one. I want to look at the reviews. What are other people saying about it? Uh, does this one have the features? Is it the right size? There's stuff that you think about ahead of time. Once you see that there is social proof that people really like this one particular TV, then you're like, okay, then that's going to, it lowers my risk because I'm probably not buying something that's going to be a dud. I'll invest my money in there. So you've got education that built trust, which then enable you to go to transaction. The same way if you're selling IT services, since we were talking about that, if you provide information to people about uh, current data security risks, trends that are happening, how to protect your employees from social uh, engineering attacks, stuff that's educational, I start to see you as an expert. Oh, wow, this person actually knows what they're talking about. So before I even am thinking I need to hire a company, I'm trying to see who can I trust. So when you provide that value, that's informational. Now, what, when people just look at your blogs and so on, there's there's a lot you can do on the page to optimize it, to get found and all that. We won't get into all that here. Um, but if you're interested, you go to like, just go to my website. Go to morebusiness.com. MSPSEO is all there. I give it all away for free. So um, if, if you look at... Uh, uh, the content on the article, what I do is I create content clusters. So it's not just one article on a particular topic, not one article on, say, protecting your business from a social engineering attack. It might be five articles. And the way you produce it, here's my secret. This is my absolute secret sauce, is I will have a conversation just like you and I are having, either with myself. Sometimes I put prompts on a, on a slide deck and I just talk to a microphone or I talk to a person and we have a conversation about what are the five things people need to know about social engineering. So I click record, I get that transcribed. And then once it's transcribed, it's my own words, I can send it off to somebody to polish or I can polish it myself. And then that becomes a pretty lengthy guide, maybe 20 minute conversations, ballpark 2,000, 2,500 words. And you parse that up into four different pieces, four different segments, the four or five questions that you talked about, each one's a different segment. You put that as a separate article, separate blog, drip it out. So when someone lands on one topic, you have a little note saying, like this article, you'll love our guide. And the guide is the PDF download that is the full piece. 
And so now you've used that as a way to do lead capture on your form. And there's just, there's all kinds of things you can do to improve lead capture, conversion rates, and so on. But now you've got them. That's the informational side. You don't know where they are on the buyer journey. You don't know if they're two years out from hiring somebody or they're just getting educated because they're ready to buy. So you create middle of the road and then closing content. So how to type of information could be like middle of the road content. When they're ready to buy, create comparisons or buying guides, things to think about before you purchase uh, security services, what to ask your managed service provider. If someone's reading one of those pieces of content, they're not in the information gathering stage anymore. They're at the buying stage. So again, buyer journey. So if you've got content that they, that they downloaded that was in the informational stage, send them a note saying, hey, you might also like our buyer's guide. Now, if they read the buyer's guide, they might be farther along the journey than you know, maybe someone who didn't click on that and didn't read it. And if they didn't, then you just send them more educational stuff. But if they click the buyer's guide, that's when you have a salesperson call. That's when you're like, oh, okay, hey, what sparked your interest in looking at that guide? We'd be happy to answer some questions for you. And you have a much higher chance of closing a sale. So content, and I probably went on for a long time, but <laughs> this is the process. Yeah, this it's good stuff. Yeah. And, so. and a lot of that stuff's things that, you know, like founder owners haven't heard before possibly, yeah. you know, and understanding yeah. the opportunity. Because I'm going to keep using that word that you say, like this is yeah. an opportunity to capture, I'll say probably warmer prospects than standing on Facebook or LinkedIn yelling at the world, right? Yeah. To say, hey, look at me as opposed to those people that are looking for you, so to speak. Yeah. And in fact, um, so like just, um, I guess I'm sticking with the, the, the IT provider space here for, for the moment. If you, if someone were looking for managed service provider in Rockville, there's a lot of stuff you can do on your website, but what comes up first is Google maps. Cause what Google does is it looks at your physical location for your office and the IP address where that person is doing a search from. And that is the only thing it looks at, who is closest to you. And then that shows up as a red pin on the Google Maps. And the top three pins show up as part of the listing. And so if you first claim your Google business profile, it is free. Google, like you just go to google.com slash business and you can claim your profile and just follow their prompts you put in your hours, you know, you know, ever, ever look for like a pizza restaurant and want to know if it's open and yeah, it shows right. the hours. So it's because they claim their Google, Google business. So you can do the same with your business. And through that, you can share posts. So if someone goes to your Google business profile and they see, oh, this person just wrote about questions to ask your IT provider before you hire them, uh, stuff like that, they'll see your presence on Google before they even hit your website. So that's like another, another, hidden strategy that I think a lot of companies don't tap into. Uh, then there's a review strategy. There's like all kinds of other like things, but as you can see, I enjoy this stuff. I think I enjoy it much more than doing my engineering work these days. <laughs> so um, it's, well, it's yeah. fun. You know, it's yeah. a bit, uh, a bit of alchemy, right? Like that you're playing with these different things and seeing what happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, so no, I can totally understand, you know, being it's like one that, big you know. chemistry experiment, you know? Yeah, right. Like, and so like with, with you know, the unfortunate, unfortunate position with our morebusiness.com site is that I actually just have fun with this. Like the other day I was writing an article and I, th I think what it, the article came out of frustration with the guy who mows my lawn. So I live in this neighborhood. Like I, I grew up mowing my own lawn. And now I hire someone to mow my lawn because I don't want to mow my lawn anymore, right? So, um, so but the guys, I keep telling them, 
look, my wife and I entertain a lot. I need the lawn mowed before Friday afternoon because Friday night, Saturday night. And sometimes we'd be having guests over at 6.30 p.m. on a Saturday night. The guy would come and start mowing the lawn. What, what are you doing? Get, you're like, I needed him up. So I kept telling him, look, you got to understand who your market is. When you're in this neighborhood, people entertain a lot. They want their lawn mowed. Like if you want to just mow whenever you want, you know, you could probably charge less to a, a maybe an area where people don't care about that as much. Here, I, can you see all the parties that are going on? So, so I ended up like, just he just couldn't get it. So the next guy I hired, I said, when do you mow the lawn? He goes, oh, in your neighborhood, we mow on Friday mornings. I'm like, you're hired. I didn't even think twice because I knew what I was buying was not grass cutting services. I was buying a beautifully manicured lawn to share and enjoy with my family and friends. And it seems like a really small nuance, but that's like, the, so now why do I talk about lawn mowing services? So on my morebusiness.com site, we get people from all kinds of industries coming. I was like, well, why don't I write an article about this? Like tell people, if you want to start a lawn mowing service, just do the following, create a flyer. We mow on Thursdays and Fridays in your neighborhood, just like little things. And then just distribute these flyers and, you know, upper middle-class neighborhoods and so on. So before I took, before I started typing the article, I went and I did all this keyword research to see, I don't want to just like, how do you get like customers for your lawn care services? I found a great headline, how to find 100 customers, your first 100 customers for lawn care services. And that is actually a well-searched upon um, keyword phrase that has low keyword difficulty. So I drafted this nice article, didn't take me long to write it, maybe an hour, it was over a weekend. And it debuted on page one of Google. Look at that, you know, for lawn care services. And it's still there. I think like there's like, and then it started getting like hit for like different related keywords on page two and it's inching its way up. So SEO really works if you know what you're doing. Like if you, if you analyze this, the, the keywords, it works for every single industry that is out there. I mean, you know, so, so now I've got this nice article that's helping lawn care service providers like get business. So <laughs> yeah, know? it's awesome. So. It, and, and I like what you said there too, that, that it's a great reminder to business owners is recognize that you're selling the result, right? Because a lot of people go, look at this, look at that. And they do the, yeah. the showcase display, but they're not talking about the, so what, right? Like it's, it's that, that people are buying yeah. in your case, to your example, um, it, you are buying a manicured lawn ready to go for your Friday, Saturday, that's right? What like, that's what you're buying. Yeah. Right? You're not and buying a lawn. Flyer, if the flyer they give to me to like promote their services had a picture of a lawnmower, I wouldn't react. If the flyer had a picture of a beautiful house with a nicely manicured lawn, that would attract my attention because that's what I'm buying. Yep. You know, we're all very visual. And so there is a market where they're paying for you to mow the lawn because they don't want to do it. So they, that's, a secondary thing, but my first thing is, you know, look at what your customer is buying. So right. if you're selling IT, so your customer is buying peace of mind. Yep. That is the first thing they're buying. Then they're buying all the other stuff. Right. But if they can sleep better at night and not have to worry about security because you're thinking about it, you're doing the, the staying awake at night for them, they'll pay you. Absolutely. So, and yeah. and that's it, right? Like, and because especially, you know, you appreciate this from the engineering background, certainly the tech background, like we can get hyper-focused on the tech. Right. Yeah. And and yeah. then we go, we want to go tell the world about the tech. And they, yeah. that's not the point. The point is to yeah. you say, like they tell them the result of doing business with you that they care about. Like you're there to make them successful, right? Mm -hmm. Don't tell them how great you are. Tell them how doing business with you is going to benefit them. That's what they're looking for. The peace of mind, right. you know, the, the, we, we, 
we have someone to call you back within. If we don't pick you up real time, we'll call you back within five minutes. Like that's the yeah. stuff that they want to hear, you know? Yeah. You know what I used to do in, in, the, in, the, in my uh, mailer mailer business is I had a hotline for the customers that were paying $100,000 or more per year for us. And it was a num- phone number that it was a Google voice number that when someone called, we wouldn't pick up, but we told our clients, look, if this is a Google voice number. It will text like like three or four of our, our, our engineers and executives so we can get back to you right away. So, um, you know, don't abuse it. But if there's ever an issue that you got to solve and it's the weekend evening or whatever, we are available for you. No one in my all my years, they no one ever abused it and they appreciated it. But I did have like once in a while, one of like, you know, our, our quarter million dollar year customer would send a note. I'm having a panic attack. I got this. So we would all get the text. We would coordinate. Hey, uh, you know, Dick, are you talking with Kevin? Are you tackling? No, I got it. Don't worry. They'll log on. Yeah, I'm near a computer. I'll just log on. They fixed the problem. Our customers are so happy. Just have that hotline, right? So we market that, the peace of mind to our really high-end customers. Yeah. You just got to like keep in mind, what are they buying? What are they buying? And constantly ask yourself, what are they buying? Yeah. <laughs> right? What do they, uh, what do they value? Right? Like, 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 what do they value? You know? Um, yeah. So, and, you know, I guess one of the things I love to talk about with our guests is like the importance of, you know, the, the owner, like performance in, in mindset as well as leadership. Like where how important are these things to, to success in business? You know, how being able to show up and, and, and do the grind and the ability to, to lead a team or lead to an objective, like where, where do you stand on those things? Yeah. So first it's going to be a lonely job. There's nobody inside your company that will ever be able to, nor should they relate to what you're going through. They will never care as much unless they have an ownership stake about your business as you do. Uh, so, um, you know, put that as a perspective thing. So for me, what I found very valuable is um, I had a professional coach for like 10, 12 years as I was building my companies. I was, you know, and, and, you know, to the point of what you're looking to do with businesses too, Dale, I think is really valuable um, is having a coach who's built businesses before that you can just talk to because there's nobody else you can talk to about, you know, uh, this person who's doing that. And by the way, almost all the issues are HR issues. Have you ever noticed that? Like, okay, there's someone that can help you with like, get your book straight and get your marketing in order. And, but most of the issues are personnel staffing, like, you know, like leadership people happy. Yeah. And so that's what the leadership is all about is motivating your team and coaching. So the way I look at it is, is if you find yourself just having this necessity to always be in control and telling people what to do, then you're, you're really a manager, a leader coaches. And your job is to, I, I tell every one of my staff members, my direct reports, the first day that they come on board is my job is to get you ready for your next job. And I hope that next job is still with us, but you should be in a completely different space, like a bigger, like more responsibility 12 months from now. And we're going to put checks in place every three months to have conversations that have nothing to do with the business, but have everything to do with your career aspirations. It's a safe space where you can talk about what you're feeling you're not getting out of the job, what you want to do. Like, so what I do is I have the staff tell me what they want to do in 12 months. And most people just have never thought about this. They're like, 
I want to be working. I want more responsibility. You know, like, okay, well, let's figure out what does that mean to you? What would that look like? Paint a picture. When you walk in the office that day, 12 months from now, you and I are having lunch. What happens? So um, there's another question I asked them, and it's, it's a 10-year question. Um, Jane, you start today. 10 years from now, you're probably not going to be with the same company. Let's say you and I are having lunch 10 years from now. Tell me about your life. What has happened? How has your career progressed? What's going on? And that's such a disarming question because it's not like I'm looking for you to stay here for 10 years, right? If I ask that same question 12 months from now, it's going to have to be related to the business. But when it's 10 years, it's so far away, it allows people to dream. And when you allow them to dream, that opens up what they truly want out of life. And then that, as a leader, enables you to create experiences that will help them get on their way and that will help your retention. I had staff members stay with my companies for 12, 15 years because we employed this, I care about you as a human being perspective as opposed to, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing so the coaching is really, really critical. And, and, uh, and I think it was phrasing some questions those ways, like let's say you and I are having lunch in 12 and 10 years, what are we talking about? That really gets them to, oh, well, I want to be a CMO. I'm like, oh, great. When do you want to be a CMO? Like, what are the what are the experiences do you think you would need that would prepare you for being a CMO? Let's right. see how we can create those experiences at our company. And and I'm sure you've experienced this too, Dale. When you start having those kind of conversations with people, it is you are a different company. Your cult this is culture setting inside your company, yeah. and uh, and that that attracts other people. I mean, and you get a lot of trust capital um, with yeah. the people that you're working with, um, because you know what's worse than you get that resignation, yeah. And you go whoa whoa whoa, and it's and you're blindsided by it, right? Totally and, and you sit down and you find out like oh well, I've been having this problem and and I don't see a, a place for me in a year from now, and a lot of this is either lack of communication or assumptions or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, man, you know, these things can be avoided. Yeah. And then look, this, and, and some of the things you said is why I do what I do today. Cause one leader le being in charge, like it is a lonely place. So, you know, so I, what I'm doing today is trying to help fill something I experienced, right? Like I had partners and all that stuff, but at the same time, like you need a safe space to sounding board to bounce stuff off of and and have an unbiased response that's just not a partner not a, something with the company not not your your spouse or or whatever like someone that's going oh yeah well have you thought about this like they're just completely unobjective right that that can that you can feel confident what you're getting out of it from from a place of uh, positive intent and yeah. and 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 you you kind of want to make sure to kind of at least be in that position where your employees or your team or whatever can come to you and go, Hey, you know, I've got this going on. Do you have any suggestions or so on? Or at least, and, and here's another thing for the leaders out there. These, these are difficult conversations to a degree. Don't expect them to bring them to you always. Like you need to inquire, like, and I like the way you're positioning the questions. Like you need to be proactive in this case, right? Because, mm -hmm. It's it's hard for an employee to come and say, "Hey, I'm here's my growth," because they're it's just a courage thing, right? They're afraid if they say this, they'll put their job at risk, or you know, they'll offend. You know what I mean? Like, it, and yeah. so I would say, as a leader, it's important to have the courage on their behalf to solicit these conversations and get to know them and know what their goals are. You know, that was actually a part of one of my interview questions. Is like, where do you want to be in five years? And you you hear some awesome stuff. I, 
I remember I used to hire some junior techs and they go, really, hey, I like this tech stuff. I'd really love to be a police officer, right? Like those are mm -hmm. interesting things to know. And you can kind of, yeah. even as the, the person responsible for the vision of the organization, don't you want to know where the team wants to be in five years to, to yeah. a degree, right? right. Um, you know, and that's where we're part of Lions Guide today, where clarity is so important. And you only get clarity when you seek clarity, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just honestly, just that, that really in, requires a degree of empathy on the leader's part, Yeah, um, you know, and emotional intelligence. And, and so it's, these are those soft skills mm -hmm. that, you know, my engineering professors thought were stupid, honestly, you know, <laughs> like if I'm being really frank. And so the, the, so the, the, the leadership role that you're in now, that if anybody listening is in a leadership role, there's so much, um, uh, you can take your business so much farther just by like uh, having empathy. One of my um, one of my good friends, uh, uh, really close friends, has a um, certain, uh, I guess a theme he calls leading with heart, and it's uh, it's really he's an executive coach in um, in the Philadelphia area, and 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 he just talks about how when you put people first, just like wonderful things happen. Yeah, and so yeah, I find that that. That, that worked for me in my businesses. I was very fortunate. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah you want to succeed, you help other people succeed. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. Which is like, yeah, my big theme right now is like, is literally I, I would 250 entrepreneurs. I want to make the millionaires. I mean, like if, if I can do that, I'll feel like, wow, okay. I did something. I've been like really blessed in my life. I want to like give yeah. back and uh, make stuff as cheap as possible, as cost effective as possible for people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think it's great and, and uh, totally relatable. And I, I, I appreciate you doing it because, you know, we need more soldiers in that good fight, helping other people, you know, find the success they're looking for. And so uh, I guess the bring it home, Raj, what, if you had to explain, you know, to someone you were mentoring, what makes you successful? What, what would you say? So, uh, so about 10 years ago, I was um, very lucky again. Uh, I was invited to give the, the graduation commencement address at the University of Maryland uh, wow. for their Department of Communication. And I had to think about, well, what do I say to these young kids that are just starting life? And so um, my speech was called How to Win the Lottery. And it was about doing three things, and it was really four things. And those three things are getting a mentor. So everybody should have a mentor. I still have a mentor. And it's actually the guy who was my mentor many years ago. He's 80 years old now. We still meet for lunch and we still learn from each other. It was really interesting. When I first started getting mentored by him, I was in my 20s and uh, he'd built a couple of successful companies himself. And I was learning a lot. I was like a sponge learning from him. And uh, and we had, we were talking about this years later and they're like, well, we actually now learn from each other. So your mentor will learn from you. And there's a reason they want to be. And it's actually fairly easy to find a mentor because you can go on LinkedIn and you can find other people who have done something that you aspire to do and just reach out to them and say, hi, I'm not looking to sell anything. I'm just looking for conversations with other successful people um, for potential you know, mentorship. And if you reach out to 20 people, maybe one or two might say, sure. So getting a mentor is definitely one thing. Um, the other thing is do something to get noticed. Uh, I find that if you can speak well and write well, uh, that will take you really far in your career. And if you struggle with that, just work on those skills. Uh, but publish, publish, publish on your website, on social media, but just get the word out about your business, about yourself, uh, and try to be authentic. 
Um, and the other thing is to create a bucket list. So that little check that I had in my wallet was one of my bucket list things. Giving a graduation speech was actually a bucket list item for me. And like three years later, it happened. And so little things like that, if you make a list, and I told all these college students, college graduates, had I done this right out of college, I think I would have been able to accomplish even more. And I waited till my early 40s to create my first bucket list. I thought, mm. Oh, gosh, time wasted. So keeping a bucket list. And the last thing that I would say is tell stories because stories connect with people's hearts. And in fact, I'm, uh, I have a free webinar that I give on how to craft a really compelling story that just captivates the audiences. Um, I'm going to make that available on my website too. I'm actually doing it for uh, an IT um, uh, company next week. Um, but uh, yeah, happy to share that. If people are interested. So awesome. Yeah, that, no. those are my four things. You know, All sage so. advice, my friend. Yeah. They uh, yeah. no, well, Raj, thanks for coming on, dude. It's been a big honor. It's a ton of value there, and I really appreciate you sharing your experience and and all those lessons, man. Uh, it, it it is a lot of value, and it's going to serve many who get the opportunity to hear well, this. Thank so. you, thank you very much for having me, Dale. I really li love, like I mentioned, I love watching how your um, lines guide is unfolding, and uh, love seeing your posts online too. So you keep up the good fight yourself, my friend. I appreciate we'll it. Connect, uh, we'll connect soon at some point. Yeah, real quick, where where can people find you just so they can hear it one last time? So my name is right on there. Uh, if you just type that name into Google, I'm going to be the top 12 searches that come up. <laughs> I've just been doing this for a while. Yeah, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and just say, hey, saw, heard your podcast on Dale, uh, with Dale and, uh, and I'm happy to connect. Uh, click on the bell. You'll be able to see my posts. I post regularly. I post lots of videos on uh, on how to grow your business, little things that you should be thinking about. Um, so that's where you can connect. We just type my name into Google and just connect with me on LinkedIn. Love it. Awesome, Raj. Again, thank you for coming on. And, and I, I, I didn't hit half my question, so I, I'm going to pick your brain some more, whether All we right. go live again or whatever. But man, I thank appreciate you. you and uh, you know, keep keep up the good fight, my friend. All right. Take All right. care. Thank you, sir. Yeah.